I am a member of Amazon Prime, Netflix, and I've seen ads also for Apple TV. Apple TV go big, advertise on, on TV. Amazon Prime send me updates in my emails and then Netflix do emails, send outs to say what's coming up as well. However, I find the Netflix ads quite good because they're nice and colourful and you, they're easy to explore. And I would say they're more up to date as well. And they're really looking at that data, what you've played and watched before. And then I don't think Amazon Prime necessarily does that. I don't think their data is, I shouldn't say this, but I don't think their data is as hot. So this week, and actually twice now, I've had reminders saying, please watch the Eurovision Fire Saga film. But I must be a certain demographic for them to target me for that as well as other things that I've watched. At first, when I got it, I thought, nah, I'm not a huge Eurovision Song Contest fan. The second time I got it, I looked into it a bit more and saw who was actually starring in it, which was Will Farrell and Rachel McAdams. And I love both of those two because they're a good laugh. And I heard that you, Rob, had also watched it or watched it with friends. So I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And then I can give you mine as well. <laughs> well, I reckon for Netflix, they must push it out to people in terms of the ads who fit yeah, the algorithm, I suppose, of categories of films you've seen before. But also, I reckon when they have like a, a flagship release, that I, I can't help but think they might just push it out to everyone. Really? I feel special that they've actually looked oh, at no, my Oh, no, now I've made you feel like you're not special. <laughs> special what do you mean I, I think if, i think if you've watched this film you have to be special i think that's the, i think that's the criteria anyway <laughs> i thought it was amazing it completely blindsided me i absolutely loved it i i couldn't i really couldn't believe it i mean i like eurovision i wouldn't say i'm a i wouldn't say i'm a diehard fan and this film definitely feels like it's made by the fans for the fans but it's just it was just so kooky and crazy which i suppose you you'd expect because it's eurovision but it also was just really heartwarming and charming and i love the fact that the comedy especially from will ferrell wasn't your typical will ferrell uh, style that you might see in i suppose more the kind of gross out comedies it's very childlike and totally playful and has a real mm. innocence to all of the humor which is like eurovision itself but i just thought it was grounded in a really sweet heartwarming way it just came from a really good place and i just yeah i totally totally fell for it yeah, I, I like the fact that they chose Iceland. I don't know whether they are usually the underdogs. They've obviously spotted they're the underdogs in Eurovision, but you can tell me being the Eurovision fan. <laughs> I used to watch it when I was a student at uni and that's it. <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm a Eurovision fan. I'm right. I'm saying I'm that person who quite happily will sit and watch a bit of Eurovision because it's just so crazy. Which is totally why I was so surprised that I liked it. Um, I mean, I recognised a lot of the acts because they're relatively well known if you've seen Eurovision. Yeah. But you have, I mean, I've already mentioned two of the names, but you also have Piers Brosnan in Brilliant. it as the Brilliant. dad. He's amazing. And he was good. They all, I mean, McAdams, Ferrell and Brosnan all put on their Icelandic accents. And I thought they did that well all the way, stuck with it all the way through. No slip-ups there. Graham Norton was the traditional... I, I don't know whether Graham Norton normally does it for all countries or is this film really targeted at the UK audience? That's what I would like to have known. Did they bring in for other countries 
their Eurovision host to do a certain couple of lines, maybe. And then Dan Stevens, I recognised him, but I couldn't work out for the life of me where I'd seen it. At first, I thought he was the guy from um, Breaking Bad because he looks a little bit like him. I was thinking, no, surely, surely not. He wouldn't be in this kind of film and he wouldn't look like that at all. But he, he was in Downton Abbey. And he was the beast in Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, ah, right, that's where I've seen you. Not that I'm a Downton Abbey fan either. But I really like, it's got, had a bit of charm. I love the little elves that were helping them out on their journey to Eurovision. Nice little twist there. And yeah, it was a romance at the end of the day as, as well. But I did wonder whether they were brother and sister at one point. I think that's one of the funny running jokes throughout the whole thing. Whenever people meet them, they always say, you're brother and sister. Mm. And you get the same response. They always say, I think it's Will Ferrell's character, Lars, always say, no, 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 probably not. But it's deliberately vague, which I just think is really amusing. It's as if like, oh God, we might be brother and sister, but we're not sure because we come from Mm. this small town. And Piers Brosnan, who plays Lars' widowed father, he's clearly like the ladies' man of the village. And Mm. you kind of get the impression (laughs) that he could have many children. Yeah, but if you look on IMDb, look at their surnames. So you've got Rachel McAdams as Siegfried, Eric's daughter. Well, Eric was Piers Brosnan's character. And his name is Eric Eriksson. They're trying to be like play on Ericsson. And also Ericsson is a song for Eurovision. So they've had a little play on that surname. But then you've got Lars, Eric's song. So Eric's daughter, Eric's son, Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell. Reading, between the, reading uh, between the lines. You've gone quite heavily into this. I can't believe you've gone down to the surnames <laughs> of the characters that you can only find at IMDb. I think you are supposed to think that. It's, but it's just funny. But it's wrong then if, that, if that's the case. But, but, but that's the whole <laughs> the point. <laughs> it's, so, it's so wrong, it's good. That's the point. I would mm. say that's the conclusion of the entire film, like Eurovision itself, taking a quote from their hit, Double Trouble, how can something so wrong be so right? And that for me is this film, basically. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, I, yeah it's just really good. I'm totally surprised. surprised? Anyway, yeah. That's not even the film. That's not even the, the one we reviewed. One of this the one we're reviewing. So crikey! But and there's was, also Charlie's Theron has got a, a film out this week as well. The um, Old Guard. Yeah, I watched that. I've heard intriguing things about it in terms of it's quite seems quite an unconventional action. It's different. It's different. I'm lukewarm about it. Let's just say. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll I'll watch that this week and I'll yeah. maybe we'll tell me what you think. We'll yeah. reconvene on that one. Should we go on to the actual movies we should be reviewing this week? <laughs> Why not? Probably a good idea. What should we go for first? Should we carry on Rachel McAdams? I think we should go on the Rachel McAdams vibe straight into the Notebook. So The Notebook was released in 2004, directed by Nick Cassavetes, who is actually an actor, but also has done some directing as well. The film is based on Nicholas Sparks' novel, and he really actually is the king of romantic books. He's done Dear John, The Best of Me, A Walk to Remember and The Longest Ride, which have all turned into movies as well. So, and I'm not sure whether this was one of the first ones that was converted into a movie, but it's a good one, certainly. This is probably my favourite, in fact, one of my favourite films, not just romantic films, one of my favourite films. And it features a young and handsome Ryan Gosling, who plays Noah Calhoun. 
and we've also got the young smiley Rachel McAdams like she was young and smiling well not so young in the other film but she was certainly smiling in the Eurovision Song Contest film and she plays Ali Hamilton each day a story is told to Gina Rowlands's character who is also Ali in her nursing home by a resident called Duke played by James Gardner about a young couple's life together in 1930s this is where McAdams and Gosling's character come in you'll discover through the film that Gina Rowlands' character also has dementia the young couple so this is Gosling and McAdams characters have many ups and downs, but their main challenge is really class. Both are from different classes, Noah working class and Ali very well off. Ali's parents try to keep the two from each other, but it just makes them even closer. But it's not until Ali is sent away from Seabrook, where they were living, to a school in New York where everything really changes. She goes to nursing college, she meets an officer, she's cared for during the World War II, and Noah also goes to war. And after the war, she returns home to Seabrook after some time being away. And the story continues there. I'll leave it as that. So, Rob, does this film touch on the emotions of the ladies only? Or is this really one for the boys, too? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, <laughs> I was less engaged with the the sentiment, I suppose, of the young couple in love Mm -hmm. and felt that maybe that was more for the ladies. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was more interested in, I suppose, the more heartbreaking side of it, which was the way in which it's being told as a real story of someone's life. We're okay to talk about that part, aren't we? Yeah, basically memories, aren't they? Ali's been read her own memories each day by Duke, who is Noah, um and Ali is Ali obviously the whole theme of it it sounds pretty cheesy but the power of love really and how at its core it can really I don't know magical things can happen it can keep two people completely binded for all of their lives we see this couple when they very first got together and the trials and tribulations that follow but then there's a huge huge part of their lives that we don't see and at the very end of their life, but literally at the very end of their lives. It was quite poignant from that point of view. But I think without seeing it coming from that side, in actual fact, the narration really reminded me of, you know, kind of a Morgan Freeman narration. You know, it had that real nostalgic, I'm going to teach you life's lessons type voiceover that totally sucks you in. So I, I, yeah, I kind of went along with it from that point of view. Because I think, I think the love story isn't particularly, you know, there's nothing knew about this in terms of romance we've seen this kind of story play out many times before in terms of just two people getting together Mm. found it really just quite annoying and frustrating and again it's a device that you've seen in other films that the reason why let's just say love is not straightforward for Noah and Ali when they meet and she goes off to college and Noah you know is from the other side of the tracks and he's a local boy and you inevitably get this crescendo point of the film where they split up purely because mm-hmm. Noah can't see how it's going to happen and he doesn't want to be the one responsible for her maybe sacrificing an education because she's very smart. He then sends all these letters to her. He writes a letter every single day, 365 letters he writes. 
unless it was a leap year, could have been 366. But anyway, um, <laughs> they, never, they never specify that. <clears throat> anyway, these letters never get to Ali. And so she just continues with her life for, for years, for like, I don't know, it's like five or six years or more. And the only reason that all happens and they don't kind of just try and get together earlier it's just because these stupid letters don't get to her because some annoying parent parent (laughs) has interfered and thinks they'd know best Mm. i suppose it's just because i've seen it before and you know where ultimately it's all heading so that as i say going back to the idea that i don't think there's anything particularly new there's obviously chemistry between ryan gosling and rachel mcadams and seeing ryan gosling in quite an early role considering now he's such a megastar was quite interesting but yes it was the gina rowland's james garner story that i connected to more i think Mm. i connected to both really maybe that's my girly side and a bit of a romantic I I don't know but I thought their connection was quite electric actually at the beginning and what was interesting is they shot the seven years on scenes first and then shot the beginning of the film last so they got to know each other and at the start when they first met on set and were working together McAdams and Gosling didn't get on at all and the director had to arrange for them to air their grievances in a separate room somewhere. And then after that, the rest was history. And they actually ended up going out for a couple of years as well. So they might have been going out at the, when they, you saw the start of the film, but actually was filmed later on. They may have been going out at that point. And you could see that there was definite, real strong connection at that point. And I just loved it. I thought that it's just such a sweet film. And even in the nursing home that Duke so desperately wants his wife to have those same memories as he has because he's still in love. He cares for his wife and he just wants to continue that as well. And they've got a, you know, a lovely family that can visit and she has no clue who they are. And I've experienced that with my grandfather. He had Alzheimer's and he had no clue who anyone was in his family but will still be welcoming and say hello you know when people turned up to meet him at his care home and for me one day I was there visiting him I showed him this photo book and it had pictures of him and his wife my grandmother and he sat there just looking at the picture for a long time and you kind of wonder whether there were some memories triggered or not but he had a very sweet smile and it just reminded me of that so I think I've got a bit of personal attachment to this film as well I don't know whether you've got any personal attachments to to any you know whether you find that in other films potentially my grandmother suffered from Alzheimer's and so I am familiar with what dementia can do to somebody and and how sad it is to see them effectively just lose their memories and connection with family members all around them. And I think that's why I prefer that side of the story, because it seemed to be something I could resonate with more than the romance. It reminded me a bit, that whole class divide and the fact it was set in the Deep South reminded me a bit of the backdrop to... Dirty Dancing with those two characters. Oh, right. Okay. There was glimmers for me of Titanic in this as well. With, with the a, poor with... and rich. And then there was a dancing scene at the start. It just reminded me of Jack and Rose from Titanic. And of course, the narration on Titanic as well. There's the, the whole idea of a story yeah. being told as a... Yeah, I, I got a bit of that as well from, from the narration side of things. So it's interesting we both thought that. I still think it's an incredibly watchable film. It's a bit like when you watch a film. I mean, it's a different kind of genre. It's a bit like when you watch a film like Stand By Me, that there's something about it which just washes over you and it's so easy just to kind of get swept up in it. So 
although I'm, you know, the romance wasn't the be all and end all for me, it totally worked. It's just that the the way in which the story was framed, I think, was was far more interesting to me. I mean, you mentioned that scene, the scene where the Duke, James Garner's character, and Ali, played by Gina Rowlands, are in the garden and the family turn up. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because although they plant the seeds during the film quite early on that this is the Duke telling their own life story. It doesn't take long before you start to realise what's happening. There are still some incredibly poignant moments that that come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. for you, and that was one of them. And also the scenes where she's with him for like five minutes and then she's off again, you know, and I think there's that reference, you know, when, when are you coming back to me or how long will you be with me? And they're both aware of the fact that one of them has dementia. It makes it even more sad. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just found it quite a sad tale. Um, it is, but it was kind of happy but sad at the end, I think, because she remembered him and then I won't say what happened. But, yeah, I thought it was did have that element of happy, sad at the end. But I thought the casting was... I thought that I loved the casting, to be honest. James Gardner, he's, you know, done Maverick and been doing TV and films since the 50s, but so has Gina Rowlands. What I didn't realise is Gina Rowlands is uh, Nick Cassavetes' mother in real life. And you see lots of pictures towards the end of the film with James Gardner's face and uh, with Gina Rowlands. And what they, they are actual real pictures with her husband that had passed away but with James Garner's face on there so that's a bit slightly odd but it was nice to see some of some of the elements and it Nick Cassavetes must have had a real must have been quite hard for him to see how his mother could be like going forward you know talking about death and that kind of thing it must have it must have been quite hard for him to film this but he was actually directing this film was offered to other directors before him and actually Steven Spielberg turned it down and I'm kind of glad he turned it down because he was thinking of having Tom Cruise to play Ryan Gosling's role, so the young Noah. And then also I heard that there was Ashley Judd, Britney Spears, Reese Witherspoon, potential actresses to play the young Ally. And I just don't think any of them would have worked. But there was a lot of sweetness around this film, a lot of charm. And I think that's what resonates with me and, and obviously the connection with dementia side as well. I um, thought as a romance, it, it had pretty much everything. You know, mm. I'm, I'm not explosive, on Yeah, occasion. I'm not a huge romance, mm. and you know, I won't go out my way to watch romance. But I can totally appreciate how this has got probably everything you need. And I also think, as I say, because it's got that slightly weightier backdrop to it, I can see why it's always so high up there. You know, you, you see this film often at the, the very top of you know romance films. So yeah, no, I, I completely appreciate it. It was very, very watchable. You can see why Ryan Gosling has gone on to become the star he is. He has got an incredible presence. This, there obviously was shimmering with chemistry. I love Rachel McAdams. I love yeah. her even more because I then watched her in um, the story of Fire Saga. So I've yeah. now got quite a sweet spot for Rachel McAdams as well. Yeah. She's funny because she's in The Family Stone as well, playing a 17-year-old, I believe, in that as well, or a young, younger family member in that. And I thought that was filmed before this one was because she goes from age 17 in this film to seven years later, obviously 24, which was the age actually I think she was when she played the part in in this film, The Notebook. But she also plays really well in The Family Stone. I really like that film as well. I I think it's because she's she's always smiling. I think you can almost compare her to Julia Roberts and she is, you know, if, if there's a romantic comedy, 
she has been chosen for that kind of role in the past as well. She has done some serious roles. It was the Spotlight. Was was she in Spotlight? She was in Spotlight. Yeah, and and I must admit, it did make me actually want to watch About Time. I don't think I've really seen About it's Time. Good. Richard Curtis yeah. film. I mean, yeah. I, again, that's one of those films where I suppose you know what you're getting. But having seen Rachel McAdams in this in the notebook i kind of think oh well i might watch that now similar character actually but but obviously a bit more in gear with an english setting and cast she's possibly the only american actress in that film bit like a julia roberts in notting hill there you go yeah i think that's a pretty good comparison you're right her face does just light up the screen Mm. i found it strange when i was watching this film that for me, James Garner didn't look enough like an older version of Ryan Gosling in my head. And it bugged me a little bit, only a little bit, because mm. the sincerity of the story. But weirdly, at the very end of this film, which is a bit spooky, really, he utters something to Ali and sounds, for me, just like Ryan Gosling. I was a bit yeah. like, whoa, whoa, That's okay, I, I kind of take yeah. it all back because cause I totally heard it then. And I heard it yeah. in actual fact that the most poignant moment to hear it that was quite a powerful it had exactly the same yeah I heard that as well and I, was, I said oh he sounds really like <laughs> Brian Gosling there that was a good match wasn't it but yeah you're right he looks at I don't think he looks very much like him at all and I would say you know really Rachel McCann's doesn't really look like Gina Rowlands either but their characters are trying to be in that way I mean it, it was interesting that at the beginning of the film Ryan Gosling's character Noah young Noah let's call him he was very playful really trying to get Rachel McAdams or Ali's attention and he would do silly things to try and go on a date like hanging off the Ferris wheel for example which is completely nuts and later on when Gina Rowlands as Ali twigs who the story's been about starts saying oh let's do this and let's do that and he's like he's the one that's a bit more less wild and it's almost swapped role reversal but I don't know what do, what do you want to give it? Um, I will give it seven you know, and it's one of those things that I felt the film, the genre, if you like, or this particular type of romantic film is not something I would typically go out and watch. But mm. as a romance, I totally see why it works. And the chemistry is there, the story's there, the characters are there. But I, I think I would give it that seven mainly actually because of, as I say, the, the two characters that uh, James Garner and Gina Rowlands play and how it's a look back at their life and the tragedy of where they are. But like you say, I say tragedy. It's not just tragedy because it's about a couple who have lived their entire lives together. You know, there's plenty of heartwarming things and joy and love to take away from it. But as I say, probably not just the kind of film I'd gravitate towards. So still a strong seven. Well, I've already told you it's one of my favourite films. I'm a bit of an old romantic really at heart. The cinematography, some of the scenes that you saw quite beautiful as well. The on-screen connection between Gosling and McAdams was really electric on occasions as well. Uh, it always gives me a mix of emotions and I've watched it probably about four or five times now and I still love it. So for me, it's not just on personal thoughts. I thought the acting was fairly good all round. So I'm going to give it actually an eight and a half out of ten just because I'm an old romantic really. Yeah, why not? Crikey. Yeah, I mean, if if only I could get into my inner... What's the word? Your girly shoes. Exactly. (laughs) 
if I was wearing my, my proper Gerdy shoes, they were the wrong size. They were the wrong size that night. They just didn't fit well. But if I was wearing my Gerdy shoes, it might have, it might have, like, it might have gone up to an 8.5. So, you know, I uh, didn't really understand. Well, I can't, I'm compare, trying to compare it to other romantic dramas. And I think it's, it's way up there comparison to some drivel that you get pushed out on Netflix and Amazon Prime, etc. So that's why I've given it the eight and a half. Fair dues, fair dues. There you go. So another romance, but it was on our drama list. Well, for you it was. And that is Casablanca. Casablanca, yeah. It's interesting that The Notebook is always up there as one of the best romance films. Casablanca has been up there as just one of the best dramas, I suppose, but you're like, it's a romance drama. By, let's just say, critics or cineasts, I've only seen it once. I saw it... I, this is a film I saw at university as part of my course. All right, okay. So I saw it on the cinema screen. I remember good things about it, but it's like all... It, you know, I'm being constantly surprised when I watch something a second time round that it doesn't always have the same impact. So, 1942, this was Casablanca, directed by Michael Curtis, written by Julius and Philip Epstein and Howard Koch. Won three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Direction, Best Screenplay, set in Morocco, North Africa. Um, And we've got World War II looming and the Nazis having invaded much of Europe. We've got loads of people flocking to the Vichy French city of Casablanca, which is this transit hot spot of people looking to buy and sell exit visas for those looking to flee to the United States. And here in Casablanca, we have American expatriate Rick Blaine, played by Humphrey Bogart, who owns a market bar, which is the place to be seen in the city. And this is by both French and German officials. Rick's a street smart businessman who prides himself on being totally unbiased in terms of his political persuasion but despite this it's quite clear that he's a good man at heart um he has this stubborn exterior but you can sense there's underneath all that he's a bit of a softy we also learn that he ran guns to ethiopia during the second uh, ethiopian war and fought on the republic side in the spanish civil war so this comes out in the film his only friend, it seems, if you like, or ally, is Sam, the piano player in the bar. And they were together when Rick owned his previous bar, which again comes out in the story, and when they were in Paris. So you can tell there's a really tight friendship there. And you really get the sense they've gone through something in, Rick, in Rick's life that's embittered him in some way. Like You feel like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, but it's made him, as I say, quite abrupt and emotionless. He, he's used to dealing with all types of unsavoury characters uh, who come and go from the bar. You've got Captain Renault, played by Claude Rains, who's this corrupt local official who enjoys Rick's company, mainly because he thinks Rick's as crooked as he is. And you also have Major Strasser, this high-ranking member of this Gestapo who comes in and out. And he turns out really to find a petty crook called Ugart, played by Peter Lorre, who's murdered these two German couriers for two letters of transit. 
Now these papers end up in the hands of Rick for safekeeping and end up becoming this kind of prized commodity when his former lover, Ilsa Lund, played by Ingrid Bergman, turns up at the bar uh, with her husband, Victor Laszlo, who's this renowned fugitive, this Czech resistance leader. And as soon as Ilsa walks into the bar, you know, like Sam at the piano stops and looks around and you just think, oh, okay, right. And and immediately there's this familiarity between Isla and Sam, who she goes up to to talk to straight away. And then you see Rick's reaction and it's quite clear that, okay, there's a romantic history here. Some Something happened between these two, but there's a mystery. You can tell something didn't end well. Yeah. Yeah. And so really that's that's the setup. So you have this dilemma really for Rick. Will he or won't he give the two exit visas to this couple to allow the husband Victor to kind of continue his fight against the Nazis and you know help protect him, you know, like for the good of the world, or will he let his feelings get in the way? The only thing that I was pleasantly surprised at watching this was even though It was made in the 40s, and you would expect much of a film made at that particular time to severely date. Um, I actually felt that it all held up really well, and I found it incredibly engaging. But what did you think, Sarah? I thought, for starters, I was really surprised that it was released in 1942, because for some reason in my mind... I didn't think there were many films released during the war, but I know that the US joined the war in 1941 in December time, I believe. And this was released, I guess, shortly after, Um, but they would have been doing the filming beforehand. But apparently, you know, I looked up to see how many films were released during that period. And 1,313 films were released worldwide during the war, and 374 were war films, probably on World War II. And I don't understand how they could have filmed war films during that period if they didn't know what the outcome was. But this film kind of gets away with it, really. I know that there was a restriction on building suppliers for this film. So there were a couple of scenes where I was like, hmm, that doesn't look great, when they were in driving and they were on a boat, I think, just from memories from Paris between... Ilsa and Rick, or Richard, when he was in Paris. He was called Richard in Paris and Rick in Morocco. And I didn't think that was great, but now know why, because they, I guess the budget for supplies and doing the set design was not as good. So you have to kind of take that into consideration at the same time. And then even aeroplanes in the background were made back, I think they were put in perspective and they were made out of paper as well, because they weren't allowed to fly aeroplanes during that period as well, which I find absolutely bonkers that they made these things and, and it looked really realistic as well. I thought Bogart was cool and calm throughout the film, but Bergman annoyed me a little bit, to be honest. And you spoke about last week with that Molly Bloom, you didn't really invest in her, you didn't really connect with her. I felt the same with Bergman for this film, in fact. Her character was quite deceitful, manipulative and... I know it's for a cause, but actually on occasions, I just didn't connect with her at all, really. And you can see on occasions she was kind of looking at almost this kind of in a beauty sort of mode for the camera rather than acting. That's what I felt anyway. So I, I didn't think she was the best actress in this film. 
but she was quite a strong character at the same time because she was fighting for this cause and wanted to do things you know you know trying to flee from Morocco to get back to the US and support her husband at the same time but she was partially thinking about her supposed loved one which was Rick who she met in Paris I love the music that was regularly played by Sam there were some real classics in there and Sam was played by Dooley Wilson and you can hear tracks today from that film and that's what I might found the most fascinating is hearing where these these tracks had come from it had to be you was played at the start which I've heard in the Harry Met Sally film as time goes by was played a lot probably slightly too many times maybe during the film and it I have to say it's still stuck in my mind after watching it a couple of days ago more so than that ding dong song played by the Eurovision Song Contest <laughs> Fire Saga movie that was watched more recently Dooley Wilson has a very recognisable voice as well. And I didn't know that he also didn't play the piano. This is a bit like Rachel McAdams not singing in the first film that we were talking about. Dooley Wilson didn't play the piano. Somebody else played the piano instead. He was a drummer. And I don't know why put, why put people in these roles if you, you can't actually perform certain roles. It was Instead, Gene Plummer was the pianist. Uh, but the music was written by Herman Hupfield, I believe. And the overall score was by Max Steiner. But Max Steiner didn't like As Time Goes By music. He wanted to get back set completely. But after the film was released, he realised it was it was charting highly in, in the, uh, the pop charts. And we still know it very well today as well. So the fact that those songs have lasted throughout the years, but also... So have some of the quotes you've got. Here's looking at you, kid. Kiss me, kiss me if, if, if it was the last time. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Um, you know, quotes like that, which we still joke about, let's just say, probably, and use in everyday life today as well. Uh, but one thing I did notice, I didn't hear Play It Again Sam at all, which apparently is a misquote because I did, talked to somebody afterwards saying oh, I've just watched Casablanca I didn't hear play it against Sam at all and they, they did tell me that it was a complete misquote that he said and Ilsa said play it Sam play it not play it against Sam so I don't know where that came from but it's still you know quite a catchy a catchy quote and we know it's from from this film as well there was one really strong scene where the Gestapo take over the piano in Rick's cafe and where the locals and refugees sing Marcellus over the German Watch on the Rhine song. And I read that there were real tears in the refugees and locals' eyes because a number of them were actually refugees from Nazi persecution in Germany and elsewhere in Europe as well. Um, and then many of the German soldiers were also played by German Jews who had escaped Germany and living in America. So when you read it, I find it really fascinating when you find out a bit more about some of these films on IMDb or Wikipedia or wherever you look, that the, what they did to get this film made and actors and extras they used to create the film, where their actual background is. Like last week we talked about poker, real poker players as the extras in Molly's game. And this time we're talking about people that have experienced hell, really, and are playing German soldiers 
I bet they low to didn't really want to play German soldiers in this film, but one, it gave them money, and two, there wasn't really any major negativity, which you would find actually in a film that was developed in 1942, because you just didn't know who was going to win the war at that point as well. So they had to kind of play it safe on, on occasions as well. It was romantic. I know it was a drama, which was classed under, but I felt it was quite manipulative. So not really a true romance, not like what we saw in the the notebook, but it is a classic. I would say Bergman annoyed me a few times, but I'd love to get your thoughts on what you thought of the actors in the film as well, Rob. Yeah, I thought the casting was spot on. Apart from the chemistry, I didn't think actually was there between Bogart and Bergman. And going back to your comments about Gosling and McAdams not getting on initially, the same was the case for Bergman and Bogart. Uh, Apparently, they hardly spoke. I don't think there was any particular animosity between them. Allegedly, the only time they ever spoke was actually when they were invited to dinner like offset mm. by, by somebody but she was I, quite feisty wasn't she she was quite she's very feisty yeah they were, they were both quite um obsessive characters i thought like i liked rick to start with because i just liked his character and the way we were introduced to him he's he just like you say he's so smooth and slick but there was definitely something very human about him but when we start to learn of this past relationship they both had you know he's he's so bitter about the whole thing that there's really quite i don't know i felt there was almost quite extreme behavior on both sides of you know rick being extremely kind of almost you know angry and about what happened you know he learns about exactly how their relationship ended and Ilsa, you know, one minute she's all over him and then the next minute she's back wanting to do the right thing by Victor. And so this whole seesawing of emotions, mm. I actually found as a couple, you know, you don't engrace yourself to them, really. No. I mean, and I don't think they would have worked. They wouldn't have worked. No, they, they, no, I think you're right. And I think for that reason, you know, the way the film pans out, it was right for the story. So I suppose in that sense, at least... It rang true for how the story finishes. I thought the cinematography was amazing, given the whole thing was pretty much on the Warners set. And clearly, like you say, they weren't allowed to use airports. I mean, there was a, there was a shot where a plane came into land and you saw a shot of a plane in the sky. Then the next thing you see is this plane trundling towards the camera, having landed in this very small, confined space. But pff, these are minor points because trying to get a film made during this time, you're just talking, you're talking about a war going on. I thought the lighting and the framing and the shots you saw in in the cafe, I thought was beautiful. I thought it just, as a film, I think on, on the whole, aside from those, maybe some of the exterior shots where they were hampered just with the situation, I thought some of the interior stuff, I thought was just beautifully done. It had that real, even though it was black and white, I don't know, it still had that real sheen about it. It was just so smooth and... <laughs> with the sound playing, the pianos, time goes by with this ambiance you get in the bar and, you know, Rick's silky smooth character and that sarcastic mm. humour. I, I, I found it a, a kind of a real delight to watch. And the scene where they flash back to Paris and you get these scenes where they superimpose backdrops where you're seeing the kind of places they, they both 
visited whether they're driving and there's an Eiffel Tower behind and then it cuts to I actually thought at the time that probably would have been quite a groundbreaking device to use in a film but obviously watching it today it stands out because yeah, you know we you know like of course it would stand out I mean you mm. know we're talking like 70 80 years ago so I yeah. think you have to forgive it for those those things that do jump out purely because of how old it was. And instead, I thought the majority of it stood up particularly well. There was a few kind of dramatic parts to the music, but the script was dynamite. It felt like it was so compact. It felt like not one word was wasted. There's no way you can watch this film and say it's a baggy film. I mean, I think the runtime is an hour and 40, but I just thought it was technically, on the whole, looked amazing. I thought the screenplay was... I mean, it's interesting. I was chatting to a friend of mine, and I didn't know this, but apparently the screenplay is often held up as one of the best ever written. You know, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the quotes that we can quote today are, was really, they were just rolling with it. And some of the songs as well, the song choices. So yeah, I think that was outstanding. I thought um, Bogart was great in it. You forget how much star quality he's got. I mean, it takes the shine off it slightly when you read, and, and, and you, know, you read this quite a lot about Bogart, because of his diminutive stature. He often was standing on boxes opposite Bergman, who was taller than him. Apparently, he, <laughs> he wore platform shoes to increase his height. I even read that even some scenes where he was next to Bergman, like on a bed, or he would have an extra pillow underneath him. <laughs> Um, so when you hear these things, you kind of realise, wow, and this was like the leading man of the day. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I thought he was oozing with star quality, more mm. so than Ingrid Bergman for mm. a leading actress of the time. And yes, the chemistry wasn't there as an out-and-out romance. But like you say, it wasn't it wasn't purely a romance, was it? it there was a lot more no. to it. I thought Captain Renault was fantastic. This corrupt French captain who was constantly buzzing around Rick in the bar and always wanting to do something backhanded. You know, I'll slap your back, you slap mine. He knew everything about everyone. He seemed to have all of the... I mean, we talk about the iconic lines obviously but I felt in terms of the best lines that someone had I thought Captain Renault played by Cloud Rains looked like he had an amazing time and in actual fact along with Bogart he was nominated for an Oscar Bogart was nominated for best actor and Cloud Rains was nominated for best supporting and I thought that really stood out the biggest takeaway as you watch this, for me anyway, this is made in 1942. It's amazing that, that regardless of what you think of some elements of it, on the mm. whole, it really stands up. Um, I think that's just a testimony to, to the screenplay and the performances and just, yeah, the, the way it was put together. Shall I give it my rating then? Go for it. So... I agree with you. It was done in 1942. You've got to take into factor that they're not going to have special effects or anything like that. Really, not really good quality ones anyway, but it was good for that time. The acting was good apart from, I don't think, I didn't, I didn't connect with Bergman at all. I think just purely on based on the quotes and the songs, the music choices, I'm going to give it a solid 7.5. I'm going to give it 8.5 because I loved it less for being totally engrossed in the story because 
you're right. The chemistry wasn't quite there, but I thought it just looked beautiful and love the script. It's one of those films that's like, yeah, you watch, you kind of respect it for what it is. But yes, it might be one of those films I would watch again, but not for a while, you know, or maybe I'll go back mm-hmm. to it again in, in another like, whatever, 10, 15 years. So yes, 8.5 for me. Okay. Both very good scores as well. Absolutely more. Great. So. It's that we... time again. It is. You choose first. Okay, I'll pick the genre. And the genre is adventure. One of your favourite. Adventure. I've got quite a lot of adventure. Yeah, let me just have a look. Actually, I haven't got that many adventures. I thought I had loads. You've had plenty of adventures. So I have we had all, plenty we all of adventures. <laughs> but I have 27 for you to choose from. 27, I'm going to go for 24. 24. Do you know that's bizarre? I was looking at 24 thinking, pick 24, pick 24. <laughs> it's The Martian. Oh, I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, 2015 with Matt Damon. don't know why I said it in an Australian accent, but it's Matt Damon. I love Ridley Scott. I mean, you know that I love Blade Runner. Ridley Scott is like one of my heroes. And this was mm-hmm. a real return to form for Ridley Scott, this film. Yeah, I'm sure we've got Kristen Wiig in this as well. Yes, we have. We have, absolutely. Cool, right. So, where can we so, where can we watch it martians on netflix streaming currently and you can rent and buy on microsoft amazon prime apple tv google play sky store etc etc here comes the blurb an astronaut becomes stranded on mars after his team assume him dead and must rely on his ingenuity to find a way to signal to earth that he is still alive right so i have Sci-fi. Back to sci-fi already. It comes around quickly. Mm. I have 16 sci-fis. Number 13, please. Number 13 is District 9. Mm. Cool. Yes, I've seen that. And it's a very good film. So looking forward to that. And what's more, this is also on Netflix. Oh, super. So you can stream it on Netflix. It's on Now TV as well. Or you can rent from all the usual, usual platforms. So... This is from 2009, and violence ensues after an extraterrestrial race forced to live in slum-like conditions on Earth finds a kindred spirit in a government agent exposed to their biotechnology. And this is directed by Neil Blomkamp. If I remember rightly, this feels like it's a film native to South Africa in a way, but I'm sure the whole cast are kind of South African. I know I'm pretty sure, obviously, Blomkamp is. But anyway, there's no big stars in this. Great. Cool. Looking forward to those. That'll be good. Right, so, so no, that's right. So on my agenda this week is the Charlie's Theron film that you mentioned as well. The Old Guard. The Old Guard. So I'm definitely going to watch that. So I will um I'll let you know what I think about that next week. And we should should we let people know that we're gonna be moving the release of the weekly release of the podcast yes. to a weekend from next week for the summer holly bobs. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks a lot again, Sarah. Always fascinating. Loads and loads of trivia again this week. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Looking forward to these films this week. They're good ones. So happy viewing. Absolutely. Cool. All right. See you next week. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.